Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. It's been interesting and fun for me in a way to sit with this series of conversations on identity to kind of be given the opportunity, which the garden gives me in a way that no other church that I work with gives me, and that is to really kind of dig deep into some of these things and to play with them a little bit and to be a bit more speculative than I might otherwise be. I'm grateful for the chance to uh, play with some of these ideas. And the one this morning, uh, I decided, given that Michael is going to kind of wrap us up next week with really anchoring identity in Jesus and what that means for us to be new in Christ, uh, I thought I'd like to play with a story uh, this morning from the Old Testament that is a, it's a weird little story it just kind of sits there uh, innocently and, and you start to play around with it a little bit and then all of a sudden it explodes. At least that's how it's done for, for me. Uh, in, in which the, the, the kind of the genius of the, uh, of the Old Testament kind of springs to life that these are, these are not naive desert people who didn't know any better. These were folks who had done a lot of life and had 
learned a lot of uh, how, how life actually works. The story we'll look at this morning is in Genesis chapter 32. And it is uh, the, the story of, uh, of uh, a man wrestling, finally wrestling with who he actually is, wrestling with his identity, and choosing uh, at some level to be going forward different than he was up to that point. Um, and it's the story of, uh, of Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Uh, and Abraham, of course, is the founder of uh, Israel. Israel. Um, and it is, uh, he has a, a, a kind of a back and forth relationship with God through much of his life. Uh, and then his, his son, uh, Isaac, has very standoffish relationship with God. Uh, in, in some not uh, pejorative way, but it's almost as, as if Isaac is willing to take his dad's uh, kind of word for it. He tests a few things, but doesn't, we don't dig in much. Uh, Jacob uh, is uh, one of two brothers, twin brothers, um, and his, his birth is, is, gives kind of a, an idea of anybody, if you've got a, a, a son or a daughter, you can, you, a lot of their personality comes out within moments of their, their birth, right? I, one of my sons, my granddaughter actually is like this. Uh, my, my middle son, David, has been an outward-leaning child his whole life, if you know what I mean. When we picked him up when he was an infant, he rarely ever put an arm around a shoulder. He was always turned halfway out uh, and, and leaning. Uh, he wanted to make sure that you had him uh, until he didn't need you anymore, and then he was happy to move on with his own life. But my granddaughter's the same way. She never, uh, rarely ever puts her head right. It, 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 it's always turning and looking out and reaching out and leaning out. Um, I think Jacob was a little bit like that. Uh, his brother um, uh, was born a seconds before he was. And that creates a major problem uh, because uh, the older brother uh, is privileged in that ancient culture. Uh, he gets uh, a share of the proportion and then twice the share of the proportion of the will. And he gets the birthright. So he is, he is, he is privileged in that culture, and, and that rankled Jacob his whole life. It just bothered him uh, that, that this was the kind of the story. And it's not, un I mean, firstborns even today have, have a certain, certain uh, uh, privilege in, in, in some ways. Uh, and, and even among twins, if you uh, know, know twins or triplets, almost always there's one of them that's the firstborn. That's the, the, the lead one, right? And that was the case in this particular, particular situation. And, 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 and it bothered Jacob so much uh, that it kind of became who he was. And he was constantly, it, it appears in the story, he was constantly on the look for a way to, to kind of up his, because remember, if you see yourself in the weaker position, you will use whatever power you have to manipulate to gain more power. 
to gain more position, to gain more prestige. And that's Jacob in a nutshell. So one day his brother comes uh, in from the field. He, is, he has failed in his hunting expedition. He is uh, uh, hungry to the point of death. And, and, and Jacob had, has, has, has made a, a stew and is prepared to, to give his brother life-sustaining uh, red bean soup, right? If his brother will sign over his birthright to him. What? Yeah, if you will give me your birthright, then I will give you food. I will give you food. <laughs> uh, we'll just get this notarized and then, then eat up. I mean, it's that, that kind of a relationship. When his dad is on his deathbed and, and, and ready to bless the boys, to hand off the next, right? His older brother Esau is expecting to receive the blessing uh, and his mom, Jacob's mom, who always privileged him, remember dad, one boy, mom, the other boy? It happens. And, 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 and decides to kind of, there's a, there's, a, there's a way, and, and so they go in and they uh, here's a guy who's virtually blind and is deceived by his own wife and son into giving him, the younger boy, the blessing that really ought to rest on the older boy. And of course, the older boy comes in and the old man recognizes what is done and the younger, and the boy decides, I've had it, I've just had it, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him. And so begins to turn an animosity and Jacob, um, heads for the hills. He heads for the far north country. His mom has created a little bit of a political spin on this. We don't want you marrying any of these Canaanite women like your older brother did. We want you marrying somebody from our family. So go back home to your uncle Laban, her brother, uh, and um, get a wife up there, you know, and then you, so that was the kind of the word on the street. But everybody knew why he was running. Uh, when somebody's chasing you with an ax, you tend to boogie on out. You know what I mean? You, you don't wait around a lot. So, so away he goes, and he's running and encounters God along the way uh, and tries to hoodwink God and, and manipulate him and finally ends up in the far north country where he discovers in his uncle Laban somebody who's better at deception than he is and gets played. Uh, at, at, at for, for years of labor uh, and building up his uncle's uh, financial wealth and prosperity. And finally, Jacob figures out what's going on and decides to kind of pull a fast one on his uncle, which he does, and then sneaks out of town with his wives. By this time, he has acquired two wives, two concubines, and a, a passel of kids running around and all kinds of uh, financial resources and whatnot, and, 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 and gets out of town. Laban chases after him because Jacob has stolen one of his household gods. Actually, it wasn't Jacob, it was his wife who did that. Uh, and, 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 again, and again, they just pull the, pull the wool over Laban's, Laban's eyes. And Laban knows something's gone sideways. He can't quite bring himself to 
execute final judgment on this. And so he draws a line, draws a line in the sand and says, on that side of the line, you and your family are safe. But if you come back over on this side of the line, this pile of the rocks here, you're mine. Are we clear? And Jacob didn't have any bargaining chips left. Okay, because he was headed somewhere anyway. So please notice what had happened. Jacob had created a space within which no place on earth for him was safe. By his pattern and practice of deception, by excellence in being Jacob, whose name means deceiver, liar, cheat, he had now put himself into a box canyon of limited possibilities. Behind him was an uncle who said to him, here's the line. You keep going that way, you're going to be fine. You come back over this way, you're mine. In front of him was a brother who still said, as far as he knows, because we haven't had any contact, as far as he knows, he saw still oppositional to him, and he is right in between. Anybody feel the pressure of that kind of in-betweenness, that box canyon in which your former lies and your recent lies have caught up with you, and you are stuck in between possibilities that are impossibilities? Anybody know what that feels like? Sooner or later, your false identity will put you into a box canyon in which you will have an event like what will be described tonight, today. Sooner or later, whether it's good or bad, not all of, all of our false identities, not all of our deception is evil, or, we, or, or sometimes we have gotten a long way by being really, really good at something that somebody said we were really, really good at. Oh, you're the pretty one. Oh, you're the athlete. Oh, you're the smart one. Oh, you're the clever one, or whatever. And sooner or later, sooner or later, that false identity that is anchored in pleasing people, whether it's parents or bosses or friends or spouses or whomever it is, sooner or later that false identity will get us into a box canyon in which it will no longer serve. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sooner or later. How you have gotten to wherever it is you have gotten will get you to the place where it can't take you any further. Now here's the problem. Some of us will camp out there for our entire lives. Stuck knowing that we're not enough, that we've never been enough, and that we are, uh, and fortunately, some of us have acquired enough wealth, and by wealth I don't just mean money, I mean self-protection, because that's what money does for us, yes? We've, we've cushioned us with enough yes people, we've cushioned ourselves with enough resources that we can withhold reality for decades. But if you love God, sooner or later, the pull of your heart to reality will expose you for who you are. And that's this story. So we pick it up in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob got up, verse 22, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, crossed over the ford of the Jabbok, a tributary of the Jordan River. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Just in this euphemistic statement, Jacob is, is we're in, being indicated that Jacob has nothing to define him left. 
He sent over everything that defined him, his wives, his children, all his possessions are on the other side of the river, and he is left alone. Verse 24, and a man wrestled with him. Wait a minute. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when that man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome Please, Jacob said, tell me your name. He replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for saying, it is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is a weird little story, <laughs> right? You can, see the, you can see the image that he's setting up here, and the Hebrew here is just so evocative and so beautiful and so funny in, 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 in this story. So, so Jacob is in the box canyon of his previous lies, and he has nowhere else to go. He is stuck, and that river represents the borderland between his impossible future, and behind him is a pile of rocks that signals his impossible past. He is stuck. He has nowhere to go. He sends every one of his possessions. He is left on the north side of this tributary of the Jordan River completely and utterly, if you will, naked of identity. All of his possessions, all of the things that he has striven for, all of the things that are markers of his success and place, value and significance in his culture or any other, including ours, are on the wrong side of the river. He has set aside all of those markers by which he and everybody else knew who he was. And now he's all alone, completely and utterly, terrifyingly himself. And then it says, a man wrestled with him. Where did he come from? It said as he was all alone, but a man wrestled with him. Hmm. And then somewhere as the evening, it's a fascinating story that, that for me at least, sorry, I can't help this. But the, you know, the Hebrew works is a, is a, is a it has no consonants, I mean, no, no, uh, no vowels, just breath marks. And, and so consonants form Hebrew words. And the consonants for Jacob are J, C, B. Did you notice the name of the river? The Jabbok River, J, B, C. And when you 
take a noun in Hebrew and verbalize it, you move the consonants. So Jacob is being jabbocked because the word for wrestle is the same three consonants. So you see what he's playing with here, this pun, this playing on words, is that Jacob is wrestling. Who is the man with whom Jacob first wrestles? The same man, the same woman with whom you and I wrestle when finally we have come to the end of ourselves. It is first us. We have to wrestle. We have to struggle with the true self as he or she seeks to emerge from the, from the false self that we have cobbled around it, that we have crusted around us so people think we're all right. It starts just as we head into, like in our culture, into middle school, right? Into junior high school, where you, you grab on bits and pieces of friends and stick them on yourself so you know who you are in relation to others. I like that band. Why? Because my friend liked that band. We, I would never go to that place. I'd never say, I love that movie. Don't, don't, don't I? We cobble together all of these identities and it creates this crust or some of you have gotten identities handed to you. You're the singer. You're the good one. You're the good one. You're the athlete. I can always count on you. You never disappoint me. Those are all false identities. Even if they're true in the moment, they're all false identities. And the problem, of course, is that the, the, the more heavily you're weighted with those false identities, the longer they will carry you way past their capacity to actually carry you. Bring the pretty one or the athlete or the smart one can carry you a furlong piece in your life in this culture, yes? Being the responsible one will get you down the road a fair ways towards your retirement. But if it doesn't arise from the center of who you are as beloved in Christ, it's a false identity that must at some point be wrestled with. Is it enough for you that you're the fill in the blank? And please notice, all of these things are not always positive, but they're not always negative either. Sometimes, some of, you, some of you have carried the label of screw up your whole life. Not enough, your whole life. You're, 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 you're the afterthought. You're the, you're the uh, what was your name again? And it can be as simple as the order in which you were born in your family system. It can be a, a constellation of your, of, your, of your personality type with the opportunities that life provided you. Any of those things can be, be the way, way you have begun to think of yourself. And sooner or later, you gotta be jabbed. You gotta wrestle because otherwise that sucker will take you down and become, in Paul's language, the flesh that wars against the spirit. 
Because that flesh and the false self are the same thing. Anything that I have crusted onto my life, barnacled onto my life, to get me through the day is not life in the Spirit. That's why Jesus says, guys, you got to take up your cross daily. That's his version of Jabba King. Sounds like a Star Wars movie. <laughs> anyway, but do you all know what I'm, I'm, I'm after here? So here's the first person with whom Jacob wrestles is a man, but somewhere, and, and the man I would argue is him, but somewhere in the middle of the night, something shifts a little bit and he realizes he's not making any progress anymore. He has, something has shifted in the identity of his partner, and now all he can do, all he can do is just wrap his arms around the guy's legs and hang on for dear life while he's dragged through the clearing. Anybody have a wrestling match like that sometimes? Right? It, it, it's like, that's all I can do. I just hang on and hope I don't die in this moment. And as the, as the sun begins to tint the eastern sky, he feels this shock of pain on his hip. And the guys touched him. Touched him. Apparently, he hasn't been trying very hard for much of the rest of the night. And Jacob realizes he is no longer just wrestling with himself. There is something else going on here. He is involved in a wrestling match with a supernatural being of such enormous power that he has no hope at all of getting out of this alive. But Jacob recognizes in this superior being one who can bless him. Please notice, every blessing he's ever gotten before, he has stolen. He has deceived to get it. But now, just by hanging on and finally having put to death the false self that was in that clearing with him, there's a hope, there's a chance, there's a possibility of a new tomorrow. And please, I don't want to get too mystical here, but the fact that the sun was rising, the dawn was coming, indicates probably the most important aspect of this whole story, because we're going to later learn, as Jacob does, that the wrestling partner has become God. That God does his most damagingly creative work in ourselves in the dark. in the pain, in the suffering. Can I get a witness? Because as long, as long as we're doing fine, as long as the bills are paid, as long as the kids are healthy, as long as the marriage is bumbling along, we're fine. I can lie to myself or mask the lies that I tell myself by all kinds of ways of pain medication. But when my life starts to hit bottom, when things go sideways, uh, the lies aren't gonna work anymore, are they? 
in the dark. And part of the reason he does it in the dark, by the way, even for those of you who are, who are, 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 are not experiencing or don't need to experience deep pain and suffering, right? Part of the reason he does that is because he doesn't want or need your help. The, the, the dark night of the soul, if you're f- familiar with that language and spiritual maturity, that, the, there's a reason God keeps us in the dark about what he's doing. There's two reasons. One is because he doesn't need or, or, our help and we'd probably screw it up. Amen, amen. Because that's why he doesn't tell you where he's going to be in five years because you'd figure out a way to get there. You know, if, if you're lucky, and the, 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 the word here is too obscure. The English word comes from the Spanish, oscura. Darkness for the sake of the fact that we don't want to run ahead too quickly. If we get too much light, we start to move too quickly. We're just given enough light in the dark to walk a step at a time. And we're never sure what the next step is until the light just gradually, okay, there it is. There it is. And you know, you know, if you had more light than that, you'd be, okay, here we go. No, 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 no. It's a self we are creating here. Not a project. A person is emerging. Take your time. I can't trust you to take your time. So I'm going to keep you in the dark for a bit. Don't rush on ahead. Step at a time, step at a time, step at a time, step at a time. That's all you get. Right? What's your name? And finally, perhaps very the very first time in his life, Jacob says the God's honest truth. Jacob. Deceiver. Liar. Usurper. That's me. Only to hear the voice coming thundering out of the darkness. No, that's not your name. Your name is Israel. You have wrestled with God and prevailed. And Jacob is just blown back by the power of the assertion of his new identity. He doesn't even think to ask the question, how have I wrestled with God? And this doesn't feel like winning. Right? He doesn't think to ask that until later on. But he still is Jacob at some core level. And, and it's, I love how when God shapes, frames new identity, he doesn't completely eliminate the core of who you are at the center. Because that's still you. That false self is often a terrified little boy or girl, right? Who, who, who has cobbled together because of that fear. We don't want to kill that person. We want to kill everything that's trying to kill that person. We got to get rid of all this crap so that this person can emerge in all her stunning beauty and belovedness, in all his glorious selfness. So Jacob says, tell me your name. And what's he doing? 
Jacob has been raised in a culture that if you know the name of the God, you can call on that God, and that God has to come when you call. Why do you ask my name? Gone. How do you wrestle with God and win? Simple. You lose. If you wrestle with God and you win, you've lost. If you wrestle with God and lose. Oh, Jesus said this, right? You want to save your life? Lose it. The guy who, who, who grabs a hold of his life and maintains it, he's the one actually that's lost it. It's the same thing. You wrestle with God and win by losing. And please notice, I love how the Hebrew turns this corner because wrestling with can be wrestling against but it can also be wrestling in partnership oh I see what you're doing there you're inviting us to turn from being oppositional in our wrestle with you to being partners in our wrestling with you Israel you have a future you have a destiny somewhere down the line you have a place. I think the critical piece here, more than anything else, at the core level, I think, <laughs> is to watch Jacob the next morning crosses the river into his new and still, candidly, uncertain future. But he walks with a limp. He walks in the full remembrance for the rest of his life of this night when he became someone let's pray thank you for listening for more information please visit garden.church